Annyeonghaseyo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight. We're Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure because why not ride that Hallie wave all the way to shore? So grab some tech bucky and listen to your new favorite Unis. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hello. So, so how was your week, everyone? Well, I was going to share something funny, which is I woke up this morning to some text messages from my mom and dad, and they are getting into crash landing on you. Nice. So, yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> I thought that that was really fun. They're on episode three. And then this also dovetails on the fact that my 10-year-old is watching it. So really, K-drama is just, it's like become a family affair. I told you both that I got my mom to watch it too, didn't I? My mom watched it, I think it was like over the holidays. And it was just like when we all watched it, where she was texting me daily and telling me how she was up so late at night and she's so worried. Like, are they going to end up together? How can this possibly end well? And then she told one of her good friends about it. And her friend, who I also know because she's a family friend, watched the whole series, all 16 episodes, which we know are like an hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes each in four days. That's amazing. (laughs) That's incredible. It's like the Chloe effect. We'll have to get her to become a friend of the pod. (laughs) I did tell my family about it. And I have to admit, my mom was looking at me like, really? Well, that sounds really interesting. I was like, well, except they don't have Netflix. Like they're like the only people on the planet on Netflix. I know. What do they do? do? (laughs) What did they do? Your laugh. That was an evil laugh too. I know. I think they have HBO and they still have cable. You know, they're like in the Stone Age. No, I'm just kidding. That's, so my, so my, dad, my dad still has cable. And when he'll talk to me about something that he's watching, he'll say, yeah, uh, I recorded it, but I'm going to watch it later. I'm like, who records anything anymore? Right. Who's still doing that? <laughs> That's amazing. They laugh at me. I've convinced them to, I don't know. I think they're going to cave eventually. I mean, I shouldn't say this on air, but I was like, I'll even give you my sign in for you to watch Chloe. <laughs> I was like, please, you just have to watch it. Just a sample, right? Sample Netflix from one of their original series. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, so I'm really glad, though, that we're all convincing people to watch it because it's so good. Well, on today's pod, we are going to be talking about cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation. Seeing that we're three white American romance writers doing a show centered on exploring K-dramas, it felt like an important topic to address early on. You know, sometimes appropriation can feel pretty glaringly obvious. I'm looking at you, Halloween costumes that feature Native American headdresses or offensive sports mascots, or it can be more subtle like wearing bindis or henna to music festivals like Coachella here in California, or referring to something as your spirit animal or friends as your tribe. And also, and I think this is something that's really important, is if you're ever listening to us and notice that we're getting problematic or saying something that makes you as a listener feel squicky, we want to hear about it and where possible make amends. We're going to do our best not to put anyone in that situation, but recognize that our intent might differ from our impact. And our podcast email is afternoonadelightpodcast at gmail.com. That's afternoonadelightpodcast at gmail.com. And if you ever do need to reach out, please do. We're not going to be defensive. We won't try to justify. But again, we do promise to try our best to do the work ahead of time so that we can fangirl over stories, characters, and tropes that are giving us so much joy 
in a way that is celebrative and not exploitive or fetishizing Korean people or culture or honestly any entertainment from any culture that we might touch on. And this is also a really important topic to all of us that requires continuous conversation and introspection. So in no way do we intend for this to be the only time we engage with it. And with all that being said, why don't we just start with defining what we mean by both appreciation and appropriation. Appreciation is when a person seeks to understand and learn about another culture in an effort to broaden their perspective and connect with others cross-culturally. Whereas appropriation is simply taking, adopting, or cherry-picking one aspect of a culture that is not your own and using it for your own personal interests. Instead of honoring another culture, appropriation demeans and dishonors. It perpetuates harmful stereotypes and deepens divides. Film, television, and social media now keep our world connected at all times, giving us a glimpse into how other people live, how they dress, what they eat, how they date, what holidays and traditions they celebrate. All this connection can inspire genuine cultural appreciation, but experiencing another culture doesn't automatically mean we understand it or that we should claim it as our own. You won't see us posing for selfies in a handbook, going in on Fox Eye Makeup, or acting as if we are the authority on Korean people or their experiences. Our aim here with this podcast is to honor and celebrate the craft that goes into K-drama and the fun ways writers play with romance tropes in particular, without inadvertently diminishing Korean people or relegating them into stereotypes. So let's start with a question for all of us here. What are some instances of Korean cultural appropriation that you've noticed? So one term I've heard is Koreaboo, which I think is a term that others often apply to people who are not from Korea and do not have Korean ancestry, but who like to say, I love Korean stuff, so I'm basically Korean, which is denouncing their own nation or identity to proclaim themselves as Korean, which is offensive, mainly because you're picking the parts of Korea or the parts of being Korean that you like and aren't affected by the parts of Korean culture that maybe would be negative, such as experiencing racism. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. It's kind of boils down to like ethnocentrism versus xenocentrism. So ethnocentrists view their own group as the center of everything, whereas xenocentrism prefers another society to their own. And, you know, if you look at both extremes are really problematic. So go ahead and fall in love with another culture, but, you know, still love who you are in your own culture and don't call another one superior over another because that way the cultural exchange can remain a two-way street. So, for example, like, I think you can love K-drama or K-skincare or K-pop and still recognize that South Korea is a real country with real people that has real problems. Things like preferencing white skin over darker skin, homophobia, you know, concerning things about sleep shortages among students and high rates of depression and suicide in the culture. And I think that flows really well into the idea of while we love K-dramas and stories, we're not suggesting that we or anyone else should construct a view of Korea based on what they see in television dramas or movies or what they see from their K-pop idols. We can want to travel there and enjoy learning more about the culture, which I think we all do, without pretending it is in any way a flawless utopia and not taking the view of what we see in K-dramas as the be-all and end-all. Just like, you know, we live in America and certainly we don't look like a nation of Brad Pitt's or Angelina Jolie's and our society is not nearly as wholesome as like a Gilmore Girls episode. So media can provide insights on a culture, 
but it's obviously never the whole story. And so we want everyone to know that while we're talking about K-drama and how much we love K-drama, that we do understand that it is just one aspect of Korean society and not the story of Korea as a whole. Can you imagine if people based American culture off of like keeping up with the Kardashians? I'm sure some think that that's what we are like. Yeah. Yeah. I think that many places in the world look at basically what Hollywood puts out and sees it representative of America. And like, obviously, being citizens here, we know there's a lot more nuance. We're fully admitting that we're not watching Korean news. We're not, you know, we're not keeping up with the day to day of everything that's going on in the country all the time. But we also do recognize that what we are paying attention to is pop culture. And pop culture is not the story of a country. It's part of it, but it's not the whole story. That's a great point. And besides consuming K-drama, I'm curious what some meaningful ways are that all of you are attempting to learn about Korean culture. So I'm learning Hangul really slowly. I'm trying to teach it to myself. And I'm really fascinated with the language. And there's there's many reasons behind why I'm doing it. But I want to talk a little bit about the language itself before I get into my experience with it so far. Koreans use their own unique alphabet called Hangul. It is also considered to be one of the most efficient alphabets in the world and has been praised by language experts for its scientific design and excellence. It was created under King Sejong of the Joseon dynasty, who is considered to be one of the greatest rulers in the history of Korea. He was a passionate scholar who deplored the fact that the common people, ignorant of the complicated Chinese characters that were being used by the intelligentsia of the country, were not able to read and write. He understood their frustration and not being able to read or communicate their thoughts and feelings in written words. So he was dedicated to both the ideals of national identity and cultural independence. And it's amazing what language can do to give you that. What he envisioned was a set of letters that were uniquely Korean and easily learnable, making it accessible and usable for the common people. So when he introduced Hangul, he stated, I have created a set of 28 letters. The letters are very easy to learn, and it is my fervent hope that they improve the quality of life of all people. And I think that statement captures the essence of King Sejong's determination and dedication to cultural independence and commitment to the welfare of Korea. When we use Korean words or Hangul in relation to our podcast right now, it's coming from a place of curiosity and genuine interest and recognition that to connect deeper with the culture, it's important to at least try to understand some of the language. And I've worked in education for 20 years. So obviously, I think learning is pretty rad. And I'm truly enjoying learning, albeit really slowly, another language, especially one that is as meaningful to me as Hangul. Like we all took languages in high school because we had to, right? That was part of our graduation requirement. And I took French and I loved it, but I don't use French right now. I hope maybe someday I'll spend some time in France and I can use it again. But right now it's important to me to learn Hangul because of the importance of K-drama and how much I appreciate them. And so I have a tremendous amount of respect for the writing and talent that goes into creating a K-drama, which is why someday I'd love to be able to watch without the subtitles. I don't think I'm missing a ton with the translated subtitles, but I do think it would be rewarding and also pretty special to understand the language and its meaning like one only can when they are a speaker of the language. And just a little example to hopefully make this make sense. 
a little thing that I've learned recently, because really, I don't know a whole lot beyond the alphabet, and I still am practicing with the alphabet. So I don't know much vocabulary. I don't know much in the way of syntax, but I'm learning. But one of the things very small that I thought was really interesting is the idea of yes and no, and they for yes, and anio for no, or ani if you're not doing the honorific, but anio is with the honorific. And the words don't exactly mean yes and no, but more like I agree or I do not agree. So for example, if I said to one of you, this this goes to a conversation that Leah and I were having the other day, because as I've been editing the podcast, I'm listening to all of our different accents and it's really, really fun. So if I said to one of you, I have a Midwestern accent, don't I? You'd both say ne, which is like, yes, but it means I agree. But if Leah said, I totally don't have a Midwestern accent, right? We would still say ne because we are agreeing with her. So we wouldn't say no, meaning no, you don't have a Midwestern accent, but we'd be saying, yes, we agree. You don't have a Midwestern accent. So it's this little tiny thing, this little tiny nuance of the language that to me would make it a lot more special to be able to understand what the characters on screen are saying, what the writers truly intend, because there's always that tiny little bit that I think does get lost in translation. So for now, I basically got the alphabet down. I can read it and I can write it using proper pen strokes, top to bottom and left to right. Now all I need is syntax and vocabulary and I'm totally fluent, right? That should happen like, you know, in the next several years. (laughs) Oh no, I would say by the end of March, come on. That whole yes and no in America when we're with the questions that you posed, it's always, did you mean, did you mean yes, you agree with me or no, you don't? Like, that's always a thing. (laughs) Every day we deal with that. So it's so funny that they have a solution. Right. So it's, I mean, like you define them, like what's yes in Korean, it's ne, and what's no, it's ani or anio, but really they don't exactly mean yes and no. So I thought that was really, really cool. It's just that tiny little, that tiny little nuance that makes me realize that what we're seeing in the translation. And by the way, we love you, Vicky translators. You are fantastic. We love mm. the Vicky translators who, who do this out of the goodness of their heart so that we can watch their shows. But there is always going to be a little bit something lost in translation. And so for me to truly connect with my appreciation for K-drama writing and performances, I would love to be able to watch without the subtitles. And I think going on with that, especially thanks for shouting out Vicky and the subtitles on the Vicky app, because one thing that I really like is, and this is where I know we're losing things, watching yes. watching and just reading the subtitles, is sometimes they'll just spell out like some of the fun wordplay that's happening, where you know somebody's saying something, but it kind of sounds like something else. And so sometimes they'll like highlight like, oh, look, what they're actually saying kind of means this. And you're like, oh, clever. Really quickly going to her private life that we both watched. Do you remember when the little boy, and I don't remember his name, but he was trying to call Ungi director. And the word for director is really also close to soy sauce. Yeah. So he kept calling him Mr. Soy Sauce. And that was really <laughs> sweet. And they kept having we to be like, We wouldn't have okay. known that. Yeah, they had yeah, to like, we wouldn't have known that, that without, Vicky, without Vicky explaining this sounds like this in the subtitles, which is super sweet and helpful. And that's why we love Vicky. But I want to know that myself, right? I want to know that soy sauce and director sound the same. I basically know nothing. And like, I do apologize to King Sejong because I am not learning this in a few hours. I think Duolingo has been like, I don't know what's wrong with you because I am very bad at learning the Korean alphabet, but I am doing it. But I think that I've been picking up enough now that like I can understand when somebody is speaking in honorifics to another character. And I think, again, like that is kind of like an important part of the character development. Like, are they speaking more formally or have they dropped into more casual speech with each other and like what that might be trying to like signal about their relationship? So understand 
understanding nuance of language is really, really important, even though I think you can get so much of the story just strictly through the subtitles. Well, yeah, I think about how much we're impacted by the translation and imagine if we fully understood it. It's the same thing. I always, the wordplay, I wish I understood it. I wish I got, you know, just the phrasing that say we would understand in English, but there's a phrase in Korea that I'm not aware of. So I know I am working on it too, but I'm much slower than you are. We're also kind of in the midst of moving. So it's so hard to like have a space here to study, (laughs) I guess I would say, but eventually I hope to. So I'm a big history buff. I have a minor in history and I've always been interested in Asian cultures. I took a Chinese history class in college and I would say out of even classes in my major, that one has stuck with me the most. We even had a field trip where we studied Chinese art. And I mean, it's just, I've always kind of been in love. So when it comes to Korea, I'm really interested in the history of the arts. So I've been doing some research on the early inventors of the whole music industry in Korea. I think it's important to note that in 2018, the music industry in South Korea had a 17.9% increase. And back in 2012, the music industry was recognized by time as South Korea's greatest export. So I think it's important to note how much of an impact the music industry and the entertainment industry has on South Korea. And so I have been researching earlier bands. I like to know what also what they're singing about. And normally it's most of their songs are really kind of anthems. The idols in South Korea are definitely meant to be role models. It's just it's interesting to me because in you know Western culture we have you know singers or actors or whatever and they'll come out with some sort of scandal and they'll say I never said I was your role model which is fine you know whatever but my point is that in South Korea that is not the culture. These they are called idols. They're yes they're called celebrities but they're also called idols and that name means something. But I also want to respect that. I re- I want to respect the culture of the music industry there and not try to look at it with the Western lens that I look at, say, you know, Ariana Grande or Beyonce or anything like that. One thing is that tattoos aren't to be shown on South. Well, it's illegal to to tattoo someone in, in South Korea. That is still an illegal practice. So if you're a tattoo artist, you have an illegal job in South Korea. You have to perform or you have to do your art underground. So it's not illegal to have a tattoo, but it's illegal to be a tattoo artist in South Korea. That's been interesting because a lot of times the K-pop idols, if they do have a large tattoo that's showing, they will cover it up. Like there's a singer, Jessie, she had a really popular song this year and she has a large tattoo like on her like shoulder blade. And almost every time she was on TV, it would it was like a skin colored patch that was put on it. I do think the male idols get away uh, with that more, but that's a whole nother thing. But I do find that interesting too. And also swearing is a huge no-no. I do find that kind of interesting too, because the one idol, he was singing, and I can't sing, but he was singing that song that's like, you're so, and they say the F word, you're so effing precious when you smile. That's like one of the lyrics. And he skipped the the F word because that's a swear. But then the next lyric is hit it from the back and drive you wild, which is clearly in English. We all know what that means, but he doesn't. So he sang it. Oh (laughs) no. Funny because he was trying to be... He was trying to do the right thing. Do Young from NCT. He was trying, but he doesn't know what hit it from the back. 
And that's what we talk about with things getting lost in translation, exactly, right? In exactly. America, we know exactly what that means. But yeah, but swearing is a big no-no and they're meant to be idols, you know? And it, what's interesting is, I mean, I mean, their scandals, I mean, the scandals we have in America are big and this, the scandals they have in Korea are, you know, a little different. You know, one scandal was literally like the idol had written a mean message in someone's yearbook in middle school and that was like about to end his career. I'm like, seriously? I mean, isn't that what you do when you're in middle school? But but my point is just that I do have to respect that. I have to respect that in South Korea, that is how they view their idols. But I've been really trying to delve into that and learn about it because I want to be respectful. But the history of K-pop is really fascinating. And I'm going to keep doing my research. I'm fascinated by the tattoo thing. Same. Yeah. And like it being illegal. Yeah, I watched a whole YouTube video where this woman from London went to South Korea and essentially she met with a popular tattoo artist there. And he said, yeah, well, I could I could be arrested. It's also they went to I guess a place that had a lot of people that had tattoos. And the, the one man said, oh, yeah, my parents won't speak to me because I got a tattoo. I mean, it's very it's illegal, but it gets done. It mm-hmm. seems like that's something I actually wanted to do a little bit more research on. And the YouTube video I watched, by the way, was like through Vice or something. It wasn't just some like random person from London, like going to South Korea. It was like a journalist. Just dovetailing off that quickly, because I have a couple of things that I wanted to get to. But when we're talking about things being illegal and learning about it, I will say that so I'm watching Touch Your Heart right now. And something I did not realize that they touched on in the show that I actually had to go away and do some research on was the fact that it's illegal to gamble in South Korea, but it's also illegal for South Koreans to gamble full stop. So even if they go overseas, they're bound by Korean law and they're not meant to gamble. So I mean, obviously I'm going to make some assumptions. I haven't done that much research, but I'm assuming people do gamble elsewhere. But in the show, they like mentioned somebody had gone overseas and gambled and then they were being prosecuted. And I was like, wait, that's odd. And then I looked it up and it is in fact illegal to gamble even if you are out of the country. Wow. That's, I did not know that. That's fascinating. You will be seeing it because I know you're watching that show. So yeah. I think it's one of the cases that come up. <laughs> yes, yeah. spoiler alert. But um, <laughs> something, yeah, that I was thinking about in like, you know, trying to connect with culture on like a meaningful level. So I'm married to an Australian and lived in Australia for some time. And my debut romance novel was set in Australia. And I've never quite forgotten the feeling I got when I got the email for my first like back cover copy, which is when you get a book, it's what the person's going to pick up and like read the back of the book to decide if they want to like engage with your work or not. And I was so excited. They were providing me my back cover copy and I opened up the email and I remember there was a line in it that stayed with me since like 2013 or whenever this was, that was everyone is happy in beautiful Australia. And I remember going, what WTF (laughs) is that? Like... How is everyone happy and beautiful? Yeah, everyone is happy and beautiful Australia. And I was like, yes, Australia can be beautiful. It can also very much not be beautiful. Everyone is certainly not happy. And like, I didn't realize that like Disneyland is apparently Australia. And so... I think I remember that actually. Yeah, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty not happy with that moment. <laughs> so again, like, yeah, obviously I don't think that Korean drama is an accurate picture of daily life. I certainly haven't lived like a 90210 or gossip girl existence, but 
I've also lived in Hawaii, and I would consider Hawaii, even though it's our 50th state, it is a sovereign nation that, you know, I'm not going to get into like the geopolitical landscape of like America and Hawaii relations, but essentially we've colonized it. And so in living in Hawaii, again, that's a place where people go and kind of project this fantasy of like what it means to like be in Hawaii showing up and like buying coconut bras and sometimes being like pretty, if we're going to use the word like appropriating. Yeah, just like really appropriating culture in a way that ranged from being uncomfortable to offensive. And so again, like I felt like living there and living there for five to six years in an area where we were predominantly one of the only white families in the neighborhood, it gave me kind of like a level of like, you know, take a seat here and like realize that you have a lot to learn coming into these spaces and not to just think that because like you can say aloha and like flash a shaka that like you're going to be able to like fit in because far from it. So yeah, and I also am a history buff. And I think I'm trying to do with Korea a little bit what I've tried to do both in living in Australia and living in Hawaii, which is read a lot and read a lot of fiction, albeit in the case of Korea, it's translated fiction, and also historical nonfiction to just start to get like a broader understanding of some of the backgrounds and things that get touched on in shows that otherwise I might be missing. So for example, I've just started reading Ji Young, Board 1982 by Cho Nam Ju. A really fantastic book, and it's also a movie with my fave Gong Yu. So I am looking forward to finishing the book and watching that film. And then I'm also reading two Korean histories at the moment. One is called A History of Korea by Kyung Moon Hwang, and then also Daniel Tudor's Korea, the Impossible Country. So again, I don't feel like reading some books means you get the whole picture either, but I do think it's important to like do some work to get some like broader understanding of the culture that you're trying to enjoy. And now it's time for our favorite segment, our K-Recommendation of the Week. So I am back with a K-pop wreck. And based on what we've been talking about this episode, I decided to go back a little bit. And I'm going to recommend Bang 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 by Big Bang. So this is a song that I think if you're a long-term fan of K-pop, you know this song. I think it's when people say, like, you're not a K-pop fan unless you know this song. I think this is one of them. But as I'm kind of doing my K-pop deep dive, I'm just learning about this group. One of the most famous Korean musicians of all time is G-Dragon, and he is a rapper in this group. Bang 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 is incredibly addictive. I cannot stop listening to it. And Big Bang themselves are an incredibly successful group. They aren't courting right now, and they haven't been active in a while, mostly because a lot of them had entered their military service. I think G-Dragon just got out like a year ago. It's been reported that they have sold over 150 million records globally, and they've gone on world tours, and I super recommend checking out Bang 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 by Big Bang. You won't be able to get it out of your head, I promise. We fangirl over favorite celebrities, and obviously this now extends to Korean actors or idols. However, it's pretty common to stumble on a TikTok or Instagram post where a person talks about how they want to date a Korean or claim something like Koreans are the hottest Asians. Have you seen any fetishizing content around Korean men or women? So yeah, I think what's interesting is, you know, growing up here in America for my young adult period, I felt like a lot of the media if they were going to portray a Asian man, it was from a very like desexualized and neutered position, making them kind of unattractive or the butt of jokes. I'm really thinking of, you know, 16 Candles, the John Hughes movie and Long Duck Dong. 
a character that really has not aged well and has really shown kind of like John Hughes's racist ass probably. But yeah, now that there's kind of like this flip where, you know, there is more, you know, discussion of Korean men being handsome, incredibly good looking, you know, there's also can be this like positive racism happening, which is, I think, an interesting idea. But it's that like, you know, if you're hot or attractive by virtue of just being Korean, that's pretty weird. There's 70 million plus people living on the Korean peninsula. And I haven't traveled there yet. But I'm going to make a pretty solid assumption that folks who live there come in all shapes, sizes and appearances. So yes, I think that like, we can recognize if a Korean celebrity is attractive. But I also don't want to get into a something where it's like, this massive generalization where, you know, you're attractive by virtue of being Korean. And going off of that, when you generalize like that, a specific race or a group of people, you're denying each and every one of them their individuality, right? Or their right to be who they are. Yes, it is true. Many Korean actors or idols are super good looking and it's sort of part of the industry, right? They have amazing skincare, the perfect smile, great hair, etc. We've talked about the bowl cut versus up, down or up. Both are fantastic. They have great hair, right? The women have great hair too. But it's also the idea like I can appreciate a good looking man or woman, but what I'm fangirling when it comes to dramas is not just what they look like, but their performances. I think and I hope that my appreciation goes beyond the initial aesthetic of, you know, what the actors and actresses look like. Because I do find many of my dramas leading men and women to be objectively beautiful. I think if we remember from, was it the first episode where I talked about those three dramas that I watched over the holidays, all starred Lee Min Ho. And yes, I do find the man to be objectively beautiful. But what I first fell in love with, the first drama that I saw him in was The King Eternal Monarch. The first thing that I fell in love with was his performance. And that's really what drew me to him. And I feel like that's really what draws me to my favorite K-drama stars is the amazing writing of the stories and the amazing performances by the actors who bring these stories to life. So yes, we can appreciate the aesthetic, but to make that generalization and think that that speaks for the entire country takes away individuality. Yeah, I think we were just talking about because I am currently super into Lee Dong-wook. Like I can't, I can't handle it. I just... But what I'm so into is his performance, because I think Leah and I, Leah said today, he has such soulful eyes and he really does. So I appreciate his looks, but it's what he can do with those looks. It's like how he can just be standing there and admit the most powerful emotion to his leading lady. That is what really hooks me. This is an interesting topic in relation to K-pop. So one thing that I didn't understand when I first started into my K-pop deep dives is Ego, which is, I'm not actually sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's spelled A-E-Y-G-O. And it is the act of someone looking very cute and kind of young. So if you see like a, and and, and I've seen some actresses do it too, Well, they'll be like, and, you know, maybe do a little heart a little finger heart and that's really big in k-pop a lot of times they'll play sometimes the group will play some sort of game and one of the penalties is you have to do ego and it's interesting to me because these men are they're like 25 year old 30 year old men and doing these like and even the women too i mean they're older women and they have to do these kind of like cutesy little acts and it kind of made me uncomfortable but then i also had to appreciate that that was part of their culture 
I still think it has kind of a fetishizing aspect to it that sometimes just makes me feel a little eh inside. But again, I also feel like I need to be respectful, even if sometimes they don't look like they're enjoying it either. And I think we would be amiss if we didn't mention the fact that K-pop itself has been accused of appropriating Black culture. I mean, just last year, one of my favorite groups released a song that I love, but in one of their dance breaks, you know, a couple of them are wearing do-rags. And I was like, it's 2020. Like, what 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 are you doing? You know, so I think that that is something that's a common discussion among K-pop fans. And I also think it should be a discussion. And I always try to respect fans who say what they did impacted me because I don't know how much cultural appropriation is talked about in South Korea. Or, you know, I think maybe it could possibly be a topic in the K-pop training that the idols have. But I think it's important to mention. And going off of this conversation too, when we're watching K-dramas, Are you, as a viewer, able to separate the actor from the role that they're playing? Yes, I'm going to say yes, because I think we thought about this a little bit when we were talking about Hyunbin and Sun Yujin and the fact that they're dating in real life, which, although I do love that, I don't look at them as Yoon Suri and Ri Jong Hook. So I, I can separate that. Same thing. And I think it helps also seeing them in multiple roles, just like any celebrity, even, you know, here in the States, this idea that we may love, love, love the way that they perform a role, but it doesn't mean that they're that person in real life. But what I can appreciate is when I do fall for an actor and the way that they perform a role, like let's say Gong Yu in Goblin, um, Guardian, The Great and Lonely God, or Gong Yu in Coffee Prince, since I've watched both of them, and then seeing Gong Yu on Lee Dong Wook's talk show on Vicky and seeing that he is just a charming human being then I can say, okay, I, I really like this person as a person too, but I'm not looking at him and, and thinking that he is Kim Shin. <laughs> it would be awesome if Kim Shin was a real person, but he's not. And I think that's important too in our quest to appreciate rather than appropriate is to understand that these are real people with real lives outside of what we see on the screen. And it would also take away their individuality if we were to only look at them as the celebrity rather than who they are outside of that. And I'm not saying that just seeing Gong Yu on a talk show means that I know him, but it does help with that separation, this idea that he is an incredibly talented actor and incredibly charming in an interview, but he's not the person that I'm watching for 16 episodes. Yeah. And I think that something I'm trying to think of like what I'm trying to say here, but you know, we're coming from this world where we write romance novels in America and one of the things that like, I feel like we have as conversations in like our romance landia spaces are a couple of things which are like the importance and the validation of the female gaze and understanding that women should be free and allowed to kind of like have the like fantasy spaces. But again, I guess that's like a thing. It's like a keyword of like it being a fantasy, not like a reality. And also you're not just targeting one group of people for that. And then also like when I think about like book covers too, because friends and family, and I'm sure you have all gotten this too, like we'll get made fun of or like kitted around because sometimes our covers have like very like 
Manchester <laughs> vibes to them or six packed abs because, you know, publishing houses or us and like indie publishing realize that there's like an aspect of that that's a commercially sound decision and that you're packaging a product that the audience is going to want. But at the same time, I feel like I have like been surrounded for, you know, almost a decade where I see lots of visual things that are kind of like men, like they're most impeccably, like objectively beautiful. And I've become incredibly desensitized to that. So that's something like I've thought about a lot too, is like when I see like some picture now of someone posing and they've got like a super muscly body or whatever, it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah. Like that just feels like what my like work life (laughs) is for better or worse. So I think that, yeah, when I like start to fall in love with something, it's a character and I'm very aware that it's like a character that I'm engaging with and enjoying. And that's the same with when I'm reading a book too. Like at this point, you know, I'm not going to pick up a book because I've got cover thirst for like whatever's happening on the front. I'm going to fall in love with like whatever the character's like in the book. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's all about like, the packaging so the packaging might be great but i want to know what's in the pages so the packaging of you know the actors might be great but i want their performances and i want the story that they're trying to convey it's always going to be about the story to me and they're also the conveyors of that story so with all this talk about appropriation and fetishization why don't we like have a palate cleanser here and we haven't done our book recs yet so why don't we each share an own voices romance book rec So I want to share today, I'm going to deviate. I'm not going to share a teen book. I'm going to deviate. And I'm going to recommend Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert, which is book one in a series. And I've read book two as well. Take a hint, Danny Brown. Self read book three. Fantastic own voices. But on top of it being own voices, it also deals with... So our main character, Chloe Brown, she suffers from chronic pain. I do believe it's fibromyalgia. I could be wrong about that, but I think it is. It's been a while since I read it. But she suffers from chronic pain. And she's kind of cocooned herself into her safety of, you know, what she can do to make sure that she doesn't have flare ups and doesn't have these terrible pain episodes. But she decides that she does want to get a bit of a life that she's in her 20s. And she wants to live a little, but she wants some help. So she makes a list of stuff like, you know, enjoy a drunken night out, ride a motorcycle, go camping, have meaningless, but thoroughly enjoyable sex, travel the world with nothing but hand luggage, which I think that would be a huge feat for anybody and do something bad. And she ends up getting help from this guy, Red, who is her building's handyman, I guess you'd say. And Red and Chloe develop a friendship first, and then he helps her with her list. And there's obviously a romance that brews. But then on Red's side, we're also dealing with some emotional issues and a little bit of mental health issues. So what I think is really, really cool is that it's not only own voices, it's also a really funny romance. It's very funny at times. It's a very steamy romance at times and also deals with some deeper issues that I think are hard to fit into stories sometimes. And it's done really, really well. So all around Get a Life, Chloe Brown, just super, super romantic and fun and sexy and really well done. I think I want to go ahead and recommend The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang, which is going to be a movie, I believe, soon too. And I really enjoyed the story of this. It also highlighted something that I don't think that we've seen too much about in romance, where the heroine is on the spectrum. And so as a result, she's incredibly good at the job she does, but she has not had very much experience in the dating department. So given that she has piles of money in her day job, she decides to hire a male escort who is an incredibly 
good looking young chap named Michael, who is also half Vietnamese. And obviously, you know, it's going to be that idea of like, you know, the escort falling in love with his employer. But it really does have like a lot of heart and depth that the writer was able to kind of convey in both of the main characters. And I thought it had a really sweet ensemble cast as well. And so what at face value kind of just feels like maybe like a fairly like sexy short read, I felt like it's really stayed with me in terms of being something that is more poignant than that. So I am going to recommend London Royal by Nana Malone, and it's book one in the London Royal series. The thing I most want to talk about regarding the London Royal series is, so Nana is a Black woman. She is from Ghana, and she has never been able to find cover models for her books. And so on London Royal, she is on the cover, the male model, and she is stunning stunning. She's also just a fantastic writer. I mean, I've been reading Nana for a very long time. Always loved her books. Her heroines are always really fun. Her heroes are super sexy. They're very romantic books. And that includes London Royal. It's about a woman who, a black woman who leaves America, I believe, flees to London to get away from a man who hurt her and meets a sexy British royal. I recommend checking out anything Nana writes, but especially take a look at the cover of London Royal because it is just ethereal, beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. I've got to look it up. I have not seen it, but I really am loving the like big lady energy of getting yourself on the cover as a cover model. Like that is absolutely fantastic. I've heard of like narrating your own book, but being on your own cover just sounds like a super awesome move on her part. She's stunning. And her IAG is just insane. And she's so humble. And I've met her in person. And I think she might be more beautiful in person. But most of all, she is sweet and very talented. And she's one of the very first authors. I I wrote a fangirl email to her just because I loved her book so much and told her that I was an aspiring writer. And she sent me back like a huge email just giving me advice. She told time out of her day to do that when I was just some random person and so I'll always be grateful to her but I'm also just a huge fan I've always been a huge fan so please check it out for sure oh I just looked it up and it is good is it not Ooh, incredible dress? The dress, right? <laughs> the dress she's wearing it's insane and like her, I think she yeah that's hot I think she even had like a video that was like behind the scenes of like the shooting and it's just and she's, she's been on other covers like other authors have put her on their cover but i think that's a boss move to put yourself on your own cover yeah, and agreed. well deserved too because look at her dang yeah if i looked like that i'd be on my covers too right <laughs> <laughs> so what's everybody watching this week I think I've been having a hard time lately. I've been flip-flopping around. And so I talked last time about Hotel Del Luna and I watched the first few episodes. I was in like, but I wasn't in love. And I just wanted to really be in love with something right now. And I wanted something that was going to compel me to watch the next episode. Because I feel like there's so many great dramas out there that I don't want to spend time getting through something. And I'm not saying that the show wasn't a good one. It just wasn't the right one for me at the time. And so Leah has been talking and talking to me about you have to watch It's Okay Not to Be Okay, which I've been meaning to watch since I watched Chloe, but it just, you know, wires got crossed or whatever. And I went Chloe twice, Goblin twice, and I just kind of got away from it. And so you last got into night, Lee Min Ho is what you got. I, that's, that happened. <laughs> yeah. Lee Min Ho happened. And now I'm circling back. I should get to know some other actors. And I am doing so with Kim Soo Hyun, who 
is one of the biggest K-drama actors. So it's no question that after watching that first episode that I was immediately sucked in. It wasn't just the actors. It was everything about the episode. And I'm not usually like this with episode one. Everything about the episode, it starts with an animation of one of the heroine's storybooks because she writes children's books. And it starts with an animation that is like this gorgeous... I called it Tim Burton-esque, but it's its own thing. But it has like that creepiness to it, but it's also absolutely gorgeous. So this gorgeous animation telling one of her stories. And then the cinematography of the whole episode in general was absolutely divine. And the acting in episode one, I mean, already we know that it's diving deep into mental health issues, which I think is something that we need to see more of. And I and K-dramas so far, what I've seen that they've dealt with have done a really good job, but this one actually has our hero works at a psychiatric hospital. He works at very many different psychiatric hospitals for reasons that have to do with his autistic brother. And the actor who plays his brother is, oh my God, amazing. I got sucked in immediately. So I'm I'm hooked on It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And I'm just happy to have a drama right now that is going to make me want to binge. It hasn't happened in the past couple of weeks as I've been trying out new ones. So this is the one that's going to do it for me. But I will be ready when we are going to do our buddy watch of Tale of the Nine-Tailed. And I think that what I'm hearing, honestly, is just Amy needs to cede all authority in choosing K-dramas that she's going to like. I do. To me. I'm just going to put that out there for right now. I have <laughs> said it though i have said like don't let me pick anymore i'm done um tell me what to do you are the boss of me <laughs> Ooh, i like it it's getting a little bit erotic here <laughs> but yeah i actually started to go back and watch this which was unintended i was not looking to do a rewatch, but i just think like the three main characters in this are so amazingly gifted and the performances they give and the character the heroine character ko moon young played by seo yeji she is the stone cold baddest bitch actress. Like I cannot get enough of her performance. I don't want to say too much because it really needs to be its own show, but I will say that something I didn't put together watching touch your heart, which I'm almost done with is basically the CEO of always law firm in touch your heart is that's the name of the law firm, by the way, always. Yeah. It always, always it always throws me is Oh Jung Se who plays Moon Sing Tai, the autistic brother in it's okay to not be okay, which is honestly, I'm going to say that probably I think the most powerful performance I've seen in any K drama, you know, I'm 12 in at this point, so I'm not an authority, but it probably was the most impactful and just talented performance. I've seen full stop. So I'm super excited that that's happening. And I am almost done with Touch Your Heart. I feel like I have not binged this one. I've been enjoying it, but I'm not sure. I think honestly that I've been doing some writing at night and probably like reading the news a little bit. And so by the time I get to the shows, I'm pretty much done and toasted. So I get about like one in a night instead of doing like, you know, three or more. (laughs) So I'm still in Touch Your Heart. I think I'm on like episode nine or 10. And I hit a point last night where I couldn't stop watching. Like I said this to Leah and Amy that I'm watching it at the point where I needed to. We had a death in my family this week. And so I have this like happy show that I can retreat to at night. That's just happy. It's kind of low conflict, cute. Lee Dong-wook is adorable and geeky. And I'm just really, I'm just really, really loving it. Like I think I moved from like to love now. 
basically. One thing that makes it so endearing for me is that the hero reminds me very much of my husband. He doesn't really get like social cues and he's super logical. He's super left brained. Like she was mad that someone did something to her that she didn't like. Like basically it was like a, a rival in her acting career. She's like, she kept doing, you know, this on set and this on set. Can I, can I sue her? And she was kind of being facetious. And he was like, well, you cannot sue her because blah, blah, blah. And he like rattled off all the legal reasons he can't sue her. And she's like, what? I just wanted my boyfriend to sympathize with me. Like, she was like, can't you just say yes? Like, if someone was mean to you, I wouldn't like them. I wouldn't like them at all. And, you know, sorry, my voice went really high. But it was just like, it was just so cute. Like, my husband would be the same way. He'd be like, well, logically, that person was totally within his rights to compete with you for your job. And I would have been like, can you just tell me you hate them, too? Please? <laughs> like, can you please just do that? I totally would have had that conversation with my husband. So I was very endeared, even more so to the love story happening here so i'm yeah i'm super into it but i'm very excited to do a paranormal next which is tale of the nine-tailed so, so we're gonna, okay so we're saying that we're gonna definitely buddy watch gonna, that next buddy watch yeah so it better be good and we'll do probably at least an episode or maybe two on it but yeah that's next I am incredibly excited about our next episode, which is going to be embarking on the deep dive of Goblin, officially known as Guardian, the Lonely and Great God. We've all gotten through it now, and I believe it's maybe not the fave fave for everyone. I'm ride or die with it all the way, and I cannot wait to sit down and really hash out this plot of these characters. I'm very excited to talk about Goblin. I think that there is a lot to discuss, and especially from a writer's point of view, I can't wait to go full nerd on this plot yeah and it's gonna make it's gonna make me want to watch it a third time which will happen let's do it okay i don't have enough tears left in my body (laughs) (laughs) like i still have not replenished my tear supply to be able to watch it again i mean whereas i i am the weirdo who i'm not gonna spoil anything right now when you when you do listen to the goblin episodes please have watched goblin because we will spoil the hell out of it but i rewatch the scene in the tea shop at close to the end over and over again because I found it on YouTube. I will say, and this is not a spoiler, oh but what I tend to watch over and over is just the opening credits. I cannot get enough yes. of the song or just the aesthetic that goes into the opening credits. I love the song and the aesthetic as well because it gives this like weird vibe that you, uh, you know, this, I don't want to use the word ethereal gangs. I think I used it earlier, but it like, <laughs> it kind of gives you that, you know, what's coming with the uh, with colors and everything. And the music is very haunting. Yes, I cannot wait. Well, let's say goodnight for now. And I'm excited to talk Goblin next week. All, All right, right, everyone. Come samnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!